Wrestling USA presents International Championship Wrestling. Featuring the top stars of the AWA and the NWA. Place to be Nation Wrestling. Hello, I am Sean Kidd and welcome you to a brand new podcast that might be called a vanity project, but not so much a vanity project. This more like something that I've wanted to do or something that I've thought about um, as time has gone on. But it's been kind of made easy for me a little bit here because, um, full disclosure, for those that know me or don't know me, I do travel a lot. And in those travels, I spend a lot of time in hotel rooms. I'm in airports and things like that. And one of the things I really like to do in that is I watch a lot of wrestling. Um, I do watch current day wrestling, but I also like to go back and watch kind of older wrestling for those of you that know me know that I really kind of like the older stuff obviously I host host a podcast uh on Crockett Wrestling as it is um and on YouTube Roulette we've obviously we've watched a lot of different older matches that have helped me kind of think through well you know what there's a lot of matches out there that I haven't seen so I kind of came up with the thought process of this podcast and this podcast guys we are calling before I was a mark so just to give you a little bit of clarity about me and kind of my wrestling background in terms of when I started watching wrestling in the wise. So growing up, um, I lost my father when I was seven years old. Uh, my mom married, got married to my stepfather about three years after that. So there was a lot of in-between, a lot of stuff, you know, kind of baggage, kind of work through. And one of the things I really entrenched myself in was pop culture. And in pop culture, it was TV, it was music, and it was comics. So Again, most of the pods I've been on, you know that, you know, I, I do a lot of pop culture stuff. And again, it's some of that older older stuff. You know, I was born in 1973, so I do a Battlestar Galactica pod because that came out when I was uh, four, five years old. So one of the things that I'm really big on is nostalgia. And some of the stuff that I went through as a kid between my father and just some other stuff that you don't share is you kind of get lost in some of those things that, you know... What's the stuff that puts you in the happy place? And those were the things that put me in my happy place, be it comics, be it TV or whatever. Well, then I discovered professional wrestling. And I had seen wrestling at my grandparents. My uncle uh, was a big wrestling fan. So he'd have it on on a Saturday or Sunday, or even I spent summers over there, uh, mostly WWF. But I remember one day, um, probably around uh, probably around June or July of 86, I saw this other wrestling promotion, and I never really paid attention to wrestling or anything in depth. He had been watching this wrestling thing, and there was this guy named Dusty Rhodes. And he had come out and cut a promo, so of course the promo entrenched me a little bit. Then there were some kind of preliminary matches, whatever, and I didn't take anything seriously. And then they went over like this thing about a best-of-seven series between these two wrestlers, Magnetia and Nikita Koloff, and they had both done a promo. So the promo kind of reeled me in a little bit, and I didn't really think much of it. Well, about, I guess it was probably on primetime wrestling. It was around August 25th, 1986. I put on primetime wrestling. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to watch this whole thing through. And the very first match I saw was a match between Tito Santana and Cowboy Bob Orton. And I just remember being really entrenched in the match. And it felt like a big deal. Like, it was just realistic. It felt like it just called out to me. And I was immediately hooked. Uh, the following week, uh, I went and watched another wrestling league, the NWA. It was the same league that I was talking about with Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA and Mikita Koloff. Well, I saw a match between Black Bart and Ron Garvin. And I remember thinking to myself, Ron Garvin was just so freaking stiff in everything he did. And for those of you, again, that know me, you know I'm a big, huge Ron Garvin mark. So 
what I was thinking about is, is I started doing these podcasts and I started NWA Crock and Roll, which has been great to do. Um, YouTube Roulette has opened my eyes to a whole nother world, um, as well as NWA Crock and Roll of wrestling that was really there before I even started watching. Uh, be it with Terry Funk, be it with Bockwinkle, be it with we Stan Hansen is one that I've really discovered as well. Um, and even going back and watching old Mid Atlantic, there's stuff that I never knew that was out there. So I was thinking through this. So what I really like to do is when I travel or if I have some downtime outside of what my normal podcasts are. And as you guys know, when I do other podcasts, NWA Crock and Roll is probably what I call my serious podcast, where we really go into in-depth analysis of uh, Crockett wrestling from uh, 80s, 86 through 88. Uh, we are currently uh, in April of 86 on that podcast as of this recording. That's kind of more of my serious podcast. So for the most part, you know me on other podcasts like Chicken Salad or Highway to the Impact Zone, um, YouTube Roulette, um, or any other other wrestling ones you hear me on is more of a, it's almost like a gimmick where I have shit takes or it's a gimmick where we make fun of the stuff or, you know, we just come up with things to be funny. So I kind of thought about, you know, I like doing NWA Crock and Roll where it's more serious. Pedestal, also one that, um, I kind of thought up where we're also pretty serious in that one. You know, I wanted to add something else, and I had the idea to go back and start watching wrestling. Thanks to NWA Crock and Roll, and thanks to YouTube Roulette, to go back and watch wrestling that I had seen before prior to me becoming a fan in that August of 86 uh, year. So what I'm going to do is, on this podcast for the future, as I travel or if I have downtime and I'm watching wrestling matches, I'm going to pick three wrestling matches per show that I do on here. And I'm going to record it and I'm going to talk about it, give my thoughts on it, and continue this journey of learning wrestling that I didn't know prior to 1986. So I thought that'd be kind of fun little bit of exercise and also maybe have a little bit of a serious take versus the ones of the perceptions of the other shows I'm on. Uh, so yeah, so that's pretty the premise. So it's called Before I Was a Mark, and we're going to look at all matches for me that I'm going to watch prior to August 25th, 1986 on this podcast. So for those of you that are into current wrestling, I also like current wrestling. But for those of you that might be significantly younger than I am, obviously, um, 1973, you can do the math on how old I am. So going back to pre-86 for some of you might be kind of out there. But you know what? I thought it'd be kind of a fun little project to do uh, and just have some fun with it. So with that, we're going to look at three matches tonight. And as I do these matches, I'll give you a little bit of history or a little bit of context about the matches or the wrestlers or the time period of what's going on with them. So the first match I'm going to watch tonight is Nick Bockwinkle defending his AWA title versus Terry Funk. This is from Japan, and it's from July 12th, 1983. You can find this match on YouTube. So Nick Bockwinkle, obviously most people know who he is, uh, very well-known AWA world champion. One of the things I really like about Nick Bockwinkle is the first time I went back and saw him, very almost like a George Washington-type character, just kind of regal, kind of arrogant, but he just, for some reason, he reminded me of George Washington. So the first time I watched a match with him, obviously, um, I think I was on ESPN uh, when they were on daily on ESPN, and he might, he, I forget who he was taking on, but it was the first time I saw him. Didn't think much of him because I was a young kid, and he looked like one of those older generation wrestlers. So for one of you guys that might be a little younger now that make fun of the older wrestlers, that's kind of how it was in 1986 with Nick Brackwinkle. Um, Terry Funk, um, on the other hand, I have discovered Terry Funk greatly. I mean, I knew of Terry Funk. He was in, um, I know he was very much in wrestling uh, when I started watching. I know he was in the WWF. Uh, he was in some of the Saturday night's main event. He wasn't there for that long. Uh, my most Terry Funk that I was familiar with was 
when he feuded with Ric Flair in 1989, which is one of my favorite matches of all time. Actually, two of the favorite matches from the Bash and from the Clash of the Champions, the I Quit match. Um, but that's really what I knew with Terry Funk in 1989. I didn't know anything prior to that. And through YouTube Roulette that I've been doing with a lot of uh, with Jacob Williams and Logan and Matt and um, Scott Shiflet, I've discovered a whole lot of Terry Funk and a whole lot of Japan. So I thought it'd be kind of cool to go back and watch this match. And this is kind of a cool little thing to watch. So um, I'll do a little bit of recap here and then I'll give my thoughts on the match. So Nick Bockwinkle, uh, he is the AWA world champion. One of the cool things about Japan as well is you can always go to Japan to see matches. What I've discovered is matches you never thought you would ever see anywhere else. I mean, even like current that, like you had Vader there, you had Bam Bam Bigelow there, you had Terry Funk, Dory Funk, Stan Hansen, Ric Flair in the NWA went there all the time. So you get these really cool matchups that nobody really knew about until, you know, trading tapes and things like that. Now through the glory of YouTube, there is such a treasure trove of Japan matches with some well-known wrestlers that a lot of people don't know are there. And it's been one of the highlights for me to discover as a wrestling fan. So Japan had the AWA World Champions. They had the NWA World Champions. Uh, they had the tag team champions. Like they had champions from all the different territories. And it seemed like that could be the place where everybody could go if you were in a territory. Japan was kind of like that central place where you could go and get these matchups like on NWA Crock and Roll, we we covered a match between Rick Martel and Ric Flair. It was AWA World Title versus NWA World Title. So just kind of a cool little situation there in Japan, especially in the 80s. So we'll jump right into it. So Nick Bockwinkle's coming out to the Star Wars theme. Um, I've always liked the look of the AWA title belt. It's kind of prestigious, very regal, very large, so it really stands out. Um, it's an underrated, really great title. Um, I also like the pageantry of Japan, as they do. Um, they have the girls in the ring, they have the streamers, they have flowers, they make all the big matches feel really, really important. So that's really cool. Um, this was also Funk's retirement tour. Um, as in the crowd, they have signs that say, good luck, Terry. So I think this might be one of Terry's first retirements they're looking at. Um, Funk comes out pretty low key out in a blue jacket. So no pageantry there versus Bachwinkle, who just kind of looks like he's the man's man's wrestler a little bit. Uh, but he also looks like a snobby champ, which he is. Uh, the match is cut, obviously, but it still runs about 23 minutes long. So there's lots of mat and limb work. And I mean, there's lots of mat and uh, lots and lots of mat work. Uh, story is mostly on Terry's leg with Nick working it good and Terry selling it pretty big. I get what they were going for, and I'm a big limb guy. But even for me, I thought it was a bit much. Um, not to say it didn't look good with uh, Bachwinkle's offense on it, but could see why maybe this match wouldn't be for everyone. The last six minutes pick up with suplexes and near falls, and then you get a funk cloverleaf. Bachwinkle gets a figure four. They both end up outside the ring and then back on the apron. Nick just keeps pounding on Terry's leg. Uh, Terry kicks Bachwinkle off, almost sending Bachwinkle back into the ring as they're laying on the apron as the ref is counting 10. But Funk, as Bachwinkle's going into the ring, savagely pulls Bachwinkle to the floor and gets into the ring to win the match by countout. I really like the finish as Terry earned it with the last minute move. They shake hands after. So um, the match was good, but I think with Terry Funk and Bachwinkle, what I've discovered, I think it could have been a lot, lot better. Um, I just think they were the mat work was really good, and I could see how a purist wrestling fan would really like this match. But that's that something extra seemed to be missing for me, and I've seen better Bachwinkle and Funk matches. Um, I have read reviews on this match, and it ranges from anywhere from three to about four stars in it. I guess it depends on your taste in wrestling. But I actually went three stars on this match, so... Pretty good match, pretty decent, but I felt like that little extra layer was missing a little bit. So um, that's that's Bachwinkle versus Funk from Japan. 
the second match I watched for this one, as we talk about this one, and again, as we'll go through this podcast, it's it's meant to be a very short podcast, just talking about some wrestling matches that are out there. Um, it's not meant to be a long thing. It's just about me talking about matches that I've been watching um, and sharing with you guys on here, almost like a quick pod blast. The second match I watched was Dick Murdoch versus Terry Gordy. This one is from Houston, and this is from October 8th, 1982. This is also on YouTube. So Gordy at the time is only 20 years old, 21 years old here. The Freebirds broke up in 1981, but now they got back together the summer of that year in uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. And they actually feuded with the team of Ole Anderson and uh, Stan Hansen uh, before the Freebirds headed to world class. I actually looked up matches with Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson as a tag team because, one, I like both of them. As you know, I love Ole from NWA Crack and Roll. And Hanson has been a really great discovery for me over on the YouTube YouTube Roulette podcast. But them as a team, I can only imagine how fantastic and stiff and just how grumpy they might be. I just So I looked it up, and there's not a lot of matches that are out there with them, but there are a few on YouTube if you want to check them out. But nothing that really stood out from like a main event type, hey, big match for those two, but still worth checking out. Uh, Murdoch has, at this point, been competing in Mid-South primarily at this point for a little while, so... Um, that's kind of where these these two stood. So first few minutes are trading elbows and a long Gordy headlock, followed by Murdoch working the arm with pretty great looking armbar that he locks in at the base of his shoulder and elbows, which really, really good and looked like it's just a crisp move in terms of a submission hold. I really like that. Murdoch, out of the blue, breaks out of flying head scissors, which pots me. Gordy ends up getting control of the slam and a nice knee to the head that works Murdoch's arm. Uh, Murdoch, at his age, even though he's been having his arm worked out, he keeps kicking up like he kicking up like he's Shawn Michaels out of them, and Terry keeps pulling them down. I never realized how athletic Dick Murdoch was, and in this match, he is actually 36. So think about that. There's a 15-year age difference. This guy is busting out kip-ups like Shawn Michaels and flying head scissors, which is not the Murdoch I know, um, watching wrestling starting in 1986. This is just amazing to me. Uh, Murdoch then connects on some pretty great punches and elbows, they then trade just beating each other up. Murdoch is sent outside on the Gordy pin kick uh, uh, pin kick out. Uh, Gordy goes for a slam once he's back in, but Murdoch rolls through it for two. Murdoch gets a really like quick, crisp-looking sunset flip out of the corner for another two. Gordy goes for a pile driver, but Murdoch gets a backdrop reversal. Murdoch gets a really nice leapfrog off the ropes and back and uh, off the ropes uh, and backdrops Gordy. He drops an elbow and gets a three, so pretty lame elbow. Kind of like your standard elbow where, you know, he's just on the ground and he just stands there and drops it. So I thought the ending was kind of a surprise as I thought it was kind of a weak finish to an otherwise semi-good Haas fight. And I really enjoyed and was really surprised by Dick Murdoch and his athletics at 36 years old. So like the first match, it's kind of the same thing. I know these two could have been done more, maybe gone into another gear, but still, you know, going back and knowing the history of Murdoch and Gordy, this is a really cool match to go back and watch. Uh, three stars for me, so um, definitely one to go check out, um, and that is also on YouTube if you want to take a look at a young Terry Gordy at 21 and Dick Murdoch at 36 breaking out Shawn Michaels moves and um, just shocking performance here from Dick Murdoch and not what I'm used to for sure. The third and final match that I wanted to watch tonight for you guys, I have become a big Mid-Atlantic fan, and obviously we started doing NWA Crock and Roll in April of 1985. So one of the things that I started doing outside that podcast was I was going back to the Mid-Atlantic and watching some of the old Mid-Atlantic. And one of the things that I wanted to go back and watch is kind of the build to September of, not September, but Starcade 83. And 
you know, Starcade 83, we covered a little bit on NWA Crock and Roll as we did that in one of our earlier episodes where we went back and looked at some Starcade matches. And one of the matches that I really liked on there had um, the tag team of Bob Orton and Dick Slater. And as I watched this match, it also got me, I also went back and watched the whole bounty uh, story with Slater and Orton going after Flair and then what happened after that. So I have become, the, the Slater and Orton team really stood out to me. So this one comes, so it's interesting to see Slater and Valentine here versus uh, Wahoo McDaniel and Roddy Piper. And this is from Mid-Atlantic of September 17th, 1983. This one you can find on the Peacock Network pretty uh, pretty easily. So just to set up the premise of this one, Starcade 83 is only a few months away. Um, it's really good to see a preview with Valentine and Piper on a syndicated TV show. I imagine in 1983, this is probably a big deal. Uh, this feud in some form or fashion has been going on since April, since Valentine had won a U.S. title from Piper. And he had also attacked Piper's ear and caused 75% hearing loss in it, which is obviously leading to the dog collar match and a big blow off at Starcade. So pretty famous angle there. Uh, this is also about three weeks after Dick Slater and Orton had attacked Flair to collect the bounty from race, which set up the main event at Starcade, obviously 83. And we're also a few days away in this from Ric Flair returning to attack Slater and Norton with a bat. So we're kind of right in the middle of this whole build to Starcade 83, and Slater's a big part of that. So um, again, we get another Starcade preview here where uh, Wahoo will be in a tag team match against Slater and Norton at Starcade 83. So we covered this match uh, with Orton and Slater on episode 13, uh, episode 13 of NWA Crock and Roll. That's where we talked about Starcade 83. Uh, so to go to the match, pretty empty. The crowd, uh, based on the crowd, Camera angles is uh, pretty uh, non-existent. It's pretty empty, but the crowd is super hot. Like no matter how empty the arena is, it's super hot. It's just interesting. It's like Crockett where they would do these tapings sometimes. The crowd was just nuclear. Um, obviously, in the later years, they started packing some stuff in. But here, um, where the camera angles at on the hard cam side, you can see a lot, a lot of empty seats up in the rafter. So um, Piper just oozes intensity as he starts off in the ring with both uh, Valentine and Slater trading off with him. Cottle does a nice job of selling the feud of Piper Valentine and giving the history. Uh, Piper gets an inverted atomic drop and the two start beating the hell out of each other. Um, some fantastic, absolutely fantastic stiff shots from both of them. Wahoo gets in and he slows it down with a chin lock, which if you listen to NWA Crock and Roll um, in 19, when we're talking about him in 85 and 86, we, we often have deferring opinions on Wahoo, how good he is. But obviously he's past his prime at that point. Um, but to see him do a chin lock is not out of the norm for us. Um, so this was not surprising. Uh, then he and Valentine uh, just chop and punch each other. Again, just super, super stiff stuff. Slater tags in um, and gives some stiff elbows to Wahoo. Then they start stiffing the hell out of each other. Like this is just seems like a full-on brawl where they're just not pulling any punches on each other right uh, at all. Um, Piper and Valentine get back in, and Valentine gets a long sleeper that Piper fights out of. Uh, Valentine goes for a splash, but Piper gets his knees up and tags Wahoo who junk comes in and starts working over Valentine some more. Valentine tosses Wahoo through the ropes um, as uh, Slater had separated the ropes for um, him to fall out of the ring. Heels take turns working over Wahoo even after he and Slater um, have a collision mid-ring. Valentine gets a Boston Crab. Wahoo does a really nice job as a great face in peril here as he keeps trying to fight back. Wahoo gets a tag, but Slater on the tag immediately in the corner grabs Piper by the hair and throws him outside the ring. And as Piper's trying to get up back on the apron, Valentine just starts stiff-kicking him in the head multiple times in face, which, again, just absolutely looked like they absolutely he hated each other. 
Um, why that's happening, why Piper's trying to get back in the ring, the heels work over Wahoo as Piper is still outside. Piper slowly gets back in the ring, and Piper gets in, beats up both heels, and the match just suddenly ends as the heels just leave. This was really weird. Um, they do a replay, and they show Young counting out, but again, they just cut to the replay, and I don't know if this was a count out. I don't know what it was really supposed to be, but they just cut the match at that point. Um, and then they go to commercial, and then they come back to go right to an interview. So it's kind of a disappointing ending to an otherwise really fantastic stiff fest that you just felt genuine hatred in. Um, all four played their parts well. Um, I love the heel teamwork. Roddy is a super baby face, was awesome. Slater, I think, in my watches as I do this, I think he's very unappreciative of what I've watched in him in the last few years. Um, 86, Sean only would have known him from his uh, Dick the Rebel Slater gimmick, which was kind of hokey, but he is very good. Um, even with this terrible ending, I would go 3.25 on this. This match was great. They stiffed each other, and it was just very, very entertaining, and I absolutely enjoyed it. So those are the three matches that I picked to watch for this first edition of Before I Was a Mark. So hopefully that gives you guys a little bit of a context of what this show will be about. Very short listening. Right now we're only about the 20-minute, one-minute mark, so it won't be long. It'll just be something as I do as I randomly watch matches. I'll pick three, and then I'll just record it, and I'll just uh, pick some time to think about it. So um, that actually ends episode one. So... Um, you can find me on numerous podcasts on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. I've already talked about it. You can find me over on the Pop Feed where we have Pop Goes to the Couch, where we do a lot of Marvel recaps or TV show recaps of me, Andrew Atherton, uh, Tim Cappell, and uh, Scott Shiflett. Um, and Scott Shiflett and I also do Battlestar in the 25th Century over there. Um, I am kind of on a little bit of a hiatus from some of the pods I'm doing. This one's pretty easy just for the simple fact that I can just pick up and record at any time I want. But a lot of them I'm kind of missing here and there due to real life scenarios. And like I said, the travel and things like that. So um, hopefully you enjoyed this quick little snapshot. Hopefully you guys can join me on this journey as I do them as I go. Uh, really no set schedule, but hopefully I can get a few of these in as I go forward and um, kind of share with you some serious thoughts on some of these matches. And Hopefully you guys could go back and watch some of these matches as well. So again, the first two matches we talked about tonight, uh, they are both on YouTube. Uh, the second, the third match uh, we talked about tonight can be found on the Peacock Network. So with that, I am Sean Kidd. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Before I Was a Mark, and I will see you guys next time. From the world-famous Sportatorium, Southwest Sports presents... World-class championship wrestling. Featuring top competitors in matches sanctioned by the National Wrestling Alliance. 